We're going to be in the Old Testament this morning, over in Zechariah. I'll give you time to find it. Maybe you're better than me and you'll flip right to it. There's been a few weeks here and we've been talking a little bit about the church. This isn't a sermon series I'm doing, but I'm just talking about in the last few weeks, I've been in prayer and uh, been trying to find direction trying to figure out what the Lord wants. And he, he showed me this this week, and I want to share it with you guys. And uh, when, you, when you're in the ministry, one of the first things people ask you is, how many people go to your church? And uh, how big is your church? And when you hear someone talk about their ministry life, they say, well, I took a church and... Uh, you know, there was only this many people, and then by the time I left, there was this many people. <laughs> and then sometimes that was like four churches ago. But, uh, you know, so in the ministry, it's real easy to get caught up on looking around you. And uh, to get caught up on looking at the world and saying, well, what can we do? What are they doing that's successful? What can we do that, uh, that will help us? And I hope you all got a little bit of time this morning. I won't, I'll try not to take up too much, but I think I over-prepared for this. And uh, if I had more time, I'd have made it shorter. So I'm just going to put that out in advance. But uh, I looked around, you know, and I've I've prayed about it, and I've asked God, what do you want? And I'm just going to be up front with you. I'm just going to be honest. I said, Lord, are you done with me? Lord, are you done with this church? Lord, what do you want? And uh, I could tell you one thing, and, and this might be too much information when you're a first-time visitor, but I, I'm, I'm going to tell you one thing the Lord's been telling me because I work all week, and then I come here, and I, you know, I prepare for the sermon, but I, I do that a little late, you know, Saturdays. I always do it on Saturday. And uh, I prayed, and God kept showing me something, and I've been hard-headed, and I've been honest about it. And uh, Didi's flinching right now. But I'm just going to say what's on my heart. And uh, I, every time the Lord would show me something, and, and I think I argued, I said, well, it can't be that, Lord. It's got to be something else. And the Lord would move on me again. He'd give me another sermon, and he's been giving me sermons. And I tell you what, if y'all didn't get nothing out of the sermons I've been preaching, the Lord's already been giving them to me. And uh, he's been talking to me through them. I, you get up here and you'll say a phrase and the Lord will say, you hear yourself? <laughs> uh, amen. And I'll tell you all what it is. I'm not going to tell you specifically because nobody's got any business. But the Lord said, you need to surrender, Keith. And it's like, well, I did surrender. I surrendered to preach back in 2002. I surrendered to preach, Lord. I said, yeah, but you've always had that job. I'm not talking about quitting my job now. I'm just telling you what it's like. And uh, uh, he just, he kept telling me, he said, you need to surrender, Keith. And it's like, well, that's tough. I got to go to work. I got to feed my family. He said, you need to surrender, Keith. Well, how do I do that, Lord? Because you become two people. You become a person that goes to work and you become a person that preaches on the weekend. And I get up here and I tell you, you need to stay in your Bible. Well, let me tell you something. It's hard because you get up in the morning and just when it starts getting good, it's like, I got to go. <laughs> and uh, I got a little help last week. I talked to a pastor of a church. He's a full-time pastor. And I don't know why it made such a big difference. 
I know this is too much information, but somehow I'm getting let to, allowed to say this, but I got some help last week talking to him, and it meant a lot to me to hear a pastor say that has a full-time church for 40 years, and he said, you know, I don't know how you guys do it at work and go to church. He said, I don't know if I could. And uh, he, said, he said, that's tough. And he didn't, he didn't give me any tools. He didn't give me any answers, but I just got to talk to him. And it just kind of freed me up and said, you know what? I do just need to surrender. You can't be two people. You can't. And God says, uh, you can't serve God and mammon, right? And in your own Christian life, now this isn't even the sermon. I'm just sharing this with you. In your own Christian life, if you're two people, if you show up on Sunday and then you go throughout the week as somebody else and you show up on Sunday again, your relationship with God's never going to be the way it should be. That's just the way it is. And uh, I want you to know that <laughs> it's those little things that you do, and we're leading up into the sermon here, but it's those little things you do throughout the week. And this was for the end of the sermon, but let me tell you something. If you're praying for the Lord to help you find your car keys, you're turning to the Lord for something. He wants fellowship. He wants to be in your life. But if you turn him off all week long, you don't pray, you don't read, you don't study, you don't, and you say, well, you know, how much, you know, how much, how much, you know, you just find ways. Because let me tell you something, when you're interested in a hobby or you're interested in something that you want to do, it becomes a part of you all throughout your day. If you're in, I don't care if it's model planes or uh, golf, you're looking at golf magazines or you're uh, building model planes, you're, you're kind of thinking about that throughout the day, whether you're at work or not. It doesn't mean that we have to, you know, where things have gone really wrong is where people have checked all the way out of the world and they've gone off to be by themselves and just be with the Lord and they ain't no good to anybody. They ain't even any good to themselves after a while. Matter of fact, you know, you see that go bad a lot of times. So I just want to share that with you. And uh, I, I, I guess by way, I just want to explain what happened to me this week. Somehow I got some peace last Sunday and somehow, you know, I, I changed some things. And uh, so I'm a little overprepared this morning. So let's look at Zechariah chapter 4, verse number 10. Zechariah chapter 4, verse number 10. I'm always afraid of telling people too much, but you know what? I don't care anymore. I'll (laughs) I'll just share it. You like it or you don't. All right, Zechariah 4.10. I want to look at one verse here, but we're going to be in the Bible. I'm not going to take a verse and take a fit, but... I really want to look at what's going on here. And in this one verse, Zechariah 4.10, God says, For who hath despised the day of small things? For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro throughout the whole earth. And I want to talk to you this morning. Despise not the day of small things. So God's talking to Zerubbabel, and let me tell you what's going on here in Zechariah. Because Israel, you remember they had Solomon's temple. You remember in the wilderness they had a tabernacle, but then the day came and it was on David's heart. He loved God so much, he wanted to build a temple to God. And he, he, 
He had ideas for it. And, and Nathan said, do whatever is in your heart. But then God talked to Nathan and said, David can't build my house because he's a man of war. But his son after him will be able to build it. And uh, there was some discouragement in that for David. But later, all through time, you got, let me catch up with my, let me let my brain catch up with my mouth. So David sets aside things for the temple and his son Solomon builds the temple. And Israel, over the years, when Solomon dies, Israel and Judah split. And then when you read through the book of Kings and you read through the book of Chronicles, the whole story is about kings that are away from God and lead the people further away from God and kings that worship God. And God put up with this for a number of years. And he sent his prophets to warn them. He sent Isaiah to warn them. He sent Jeremiah to warn them. He said, if you don't turn to me, I'm going to let another nation take you into captivity. And they kept on and kept on until the time finally came when God allowed Babylon to come in and take Judah. They took Israel first, but he allowed them to come in and take Judah and take Jerusalem. And the temple was destroyed by Nebuchadnezzar. And all of the gold and all of the wealth that was in that temple was taken and put into Nebuchadnezzar's treasury. Well, let me tell you something. When God lets the pagan (laughs) or he lets the ungodly punishes people, he doesn't allow them to get the reward for it. Because after a number of years, Nebuchadnezzar and, and uh, Babylon get taken by Persia. And then when Persia gets control, there comes a time when God moves on King Darius and he allows them to rebuild the temple and allows them to go back into Jerusalem. And this is a time they, they have for 70 years the land has lain fallow because the Lord got it all back. They were supposed to let the land rest, but they kept on harvesting. And God said, I will get back my harvest. I will get back those days. And for 70 years, they've been in captivity. And they're still in captivity now. That doesn't change. But now they're facing the task of going back to rebuild the temple. But the thing is, it's not Solomon's temple that they're seeing. They're going back to rebuild. And over these 70 years, there are some people, there are some men that have lived all of these 70 years. And there were some men that saw the glory in Solomon's temple. I mean, they used the finest wood. They had the stone crafted away from the temple. And when they brought it into the temple, it was, you didn't hear hammers. You didn't hear chisels. You didn't hear it. It was laid stone upon a stone. And it was set up in its glory. The Ark of the Covenant was inside. But there is no more Ark. The Ark of Covenant that they took into battle, the Ark of the Covenant that was carried with them through the 40 years in the wilderness, the Ark of the Covenant that God dwelt between the cherubim, the Ark of the Covenant where the sacrifice was made year after year, the priest would go into the Holy of Holies. That was gone. The last we hear of it is over in Chronicles when Josiah, the king, puts it back into the temple, and that's the last we hear of it. So when they go to build and they go to lay down the foundation, there's two groups of people out there. There's the young people that heard about the glory of King David's day, and they heard about the glory of Solomon's temple. But now they see that there is no temple, but we're going to have a temple again. We're going to be able to worship God. We're going to be able to reach out to God. 
And then there's another people there that were there that saw Solomon's temple. And they saw all the glory and they saw the walls lined with gold. Maybe some of them were there in the beginning when Solomon dedicated the temple. When they took the Ark of the Covenant inside and then the, the cloud filled it up so that the priests weren't able to be in there. And they saw God's glory on it. And they saw all the people in seven days, eight days, they celebrated. And all the people gathered from all around and, wor- and worshipped at the temple and celebrated that this, their, their relationship with God, their, their place with God. There was that symbol of their place with God. Maybe they remember the celebrations as they look back. But if you turn back to Haggai, and it's only two chapters and it's right next to it. (coughs) And look over in chapter number two. And I just want to give you another verse and then we're going to go back to Ezra. We're going, to, we're going to be around a little bit, but we're, we're going to be on the same topic. And over in Haggai, God says, Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? And so they're looking there. Now turn back to Ezra chapter number three. Or you can just listen. Ezra chapter number three. In uh, verse 10, it says, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, and this is them rebuilding. The book of Ezra is about rebuilding the temple. The book of Nehemiah is about rebuilding the the city of Jerusalem. One's about rebuilding the worship. The other one's about (laughs) rebuilding the house. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, and this is just the foundation, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. They went back and they said, this is how it was done and we're going to celebrate. It's a celebratory time. It's a time we're going to see the temple rebuilt. It was the seat of worship for Jerusalem. We're going to see, we've been in captivity and we're going to see the temple rebuilt. And he says, he says, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice. And then it said, and many shouted aloud for joy. And then it says, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout and the noise was heard from afar off. It's a happy day. And the young people are out there and they see the foundation laid and they're excited. And let me tell you, when something's going on, you can get excited about it, right? Churches have building projects. You lay out the foundation and, man, we can celebrate this. We pull together the resources and all that that have gone into this and we can celebrate this. Or maybe you just have a meeting. Imagine in the old days when Billy Sunday was preaching, if you know who he was, if it was a sawdust trail, Billy Sunday would get out there and he would preach and man, he'd sling his leg up on the pulpit and he was a baseball player. He just had all kinds of energy. But when he preached, just crowds came from all over the place. And when he moved on, 
bars would shut down because they didn't have customers. Amen. Imagine somebody that saw that happen and saw people turning to the Lord and saw people coming down the aisle to be saved and saw lives changed and saw the drunk that used to beat his wife and the, the drunk that would punish his children turning to him and saying, honey, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I did that. I'm not touching another drop of this stuff. Imagine the wife that saw her husband as he poured out that alcohol or threw it up against the barn wall and it just fell out into the ground. And they saw those days and they remember them when they're kids. And then they come to another time and another place and, and things have gotten a little bit more temperate. Things have dropped a little bit. They're not quite as exciting as they were back then. Still going to church. Still sitting in the pews, still listening to the preaching, still there on Wednesday night. But things just ain't quite as exciting as they were back then. Imagine the preacher getting down on his knees and praying, Lord, just send us some people. Lord, let's have church, let's have a meeting. Let's have a preacher in here. And let's get excited for the Lord. Let's pray and let's have a revival meeting. And this happened. There was a preacher in Scotland. His church had prepared and they had prayed. And they said, we're going to pray for a meeting and we need missionaries. We're going to pray for some missionaries and we're going to pray all week for God to send some missionaries. And he, he prepared the preachers. He called other preachers to come and preach on missionaries and to preach on the importance of getting God's word out. And they prayed and they said, God, we want you in this house. God, we want you to send some missionaries. And all that week long, they, they preached and they gave God's word and Man, if, if anybody was going to get convicted for it, somebody would in this meeting because there, there, was, there was a movement toward missions, but nobody came forward. Nobody came forward at the invitation, but there was this one boy that had come forward with tears in his eyes. He got saved, and the Lord moved on his heart. It got so bad the deacons were saying, look, we hadn't seen anybody saved. Do you think you still need to be here, preacher? He said, well, I don't know. There's the one wee lad that came forward. He said, but I, I guess he's too small to matter. You know, because people tend to despise the small things. They tend to disregard the small things. The little boy comes forward, and he wants to be saved. And after a while, the boy goes to the preacher, and he, said, he says, could you teach me how to preach? Because I'd really like to see other people get saved. That little boy ended up leading missions for all of Africa. Because that one small thing. So the old timers remembered the first temple and they wept. And I think about people, they remember the big meetings or they remember when they were a kid. I remember the one in, I remember the one at the football meeting. I remember going down and standing behind 20 people. I remember meetings in Georgia. We would all meet from different churches up there and have a, have a jubilee meeting all week long. Man, there was preaching in the morning, preaching in the evening. I'd take vacation just to go up there. Now, it was a little easier. I worked shift work. I'd take four days. I'd get two weeks, you know. <laughs> Somebody knows. But you'd go up there, and man, it was so exciting, and you had the fellow over there, woo, 
I don't know why he did that, but somehow it got us excited. We're sitting there eating, and he's just over there, woo! And you're sitting in the meeting, and you see people tears starting to well up in their eyes, and you see them go down. I look back, and I think that meeting gets bigger every time I think about it. I think maybe there might be more people than I remember, or, or maybe less people than I remember. Maybe I'm adding on to it. And I think these old-timers, they looked at that, and they said, this isn't Solomon's temple. The young people said, this is what we got. This is it. I said, yeah, but this isn't like the time of old. You know, here we are. We're under. We're, we're still in captivity. We're still building. And they see the foundation and they say, man, is God even going to be here? There's some things that you shouldn't despise. One of the first things is don't despise the small jobs in your life. David wanted so bad to build the temple for God. He had it on his heart. And you know, David was a man after God's own heart. And he, he had it on his heart to build a temple for God. And Nathan came back to him and said, you'll not build it. But your son after you will build it. I always talk about my pastor, Brother Grady. And, I, you know, the, the one thing he said, Miss Hazel was his wife. And he'd always throw out there, he said, if Miss Hazel ever leaves me, I'm going with her. <laughs> and let me tell you something, that's meant more to me because you know what? If you feel like God's left, with, left you, you need to go with him. Because, you know, I'm telling you too much information, but when, the God, when God starts showing you Isaiah and he starts talking about my the pastors that haven't visited my sheep, and he starts talking about these pastors, and that's like, why did it fall open to that verse? <laughs> Surely you're not talking to me. Surrender, Key. Surrender. Don't despise the small things, the small messages that God gives you. But David couldn't build the temple, but you know what he did? He didn't let that stop him. He said, I'm not going to be the one to build the temple. I'm not going to be the one there when it's, when it's finished because I'm at the end of my life, and God said I can't build it. But you know what? He didn't say I couldn't supply for it. David gets some quarry and rock, and he gets the masons over there getting the stones ready for the building. And I imagine David, he's got a room there at the palace. And they'd walk by, and they'd look in there, and they would see the charts and spreadsheets that David laid out, because, you know, we got to throw a modern touch. But he had the charts and the spreadsheets laid out, and he had the drawing laid out, and he'd have the draftsman come in and say, right over here, we need to make a little change. I think it was out there for a few years. And David would go in there and he said, I can't build a temple, but I tell you what, this is what it's going to look like. The Bible tells us that... Uh, Hang on, because I'm skipping apart. But David was ready to do the job. You know, we, we get a job. There's, it's, it's hard for a young preacher. I, I've been in those meetings, and I've seen the young preachers, and, and we've had one here, Brother David Drake. And you remember that night. A, a pastor will get nervous when a young preacher gets up there. And I ain't had too many, but I, I've been around enough. Because they're so loaded for bear. Kind of like I feel today. But you remember Brother David got out here. He's loaded for bear. He's ready to go. 
He's got it out there. A young preacher is ready to go. He's ready to have a church. He's ready to lead people. But you know, sometimes the Lord just wants you to learn for a little bit. There's been times I've said, you know, I, I've, I've gotten to a point, I said, I've told Dee Dee, and she's really going to cringe on this. And y'all are too. I told Dee Dee, I said, man, I, I never should have taken the church. I don't think I can do it. I, I, I probably had no business taking the church. I look around me, I say, well, he went to school. He learned how to do it. He was under this preacher for years. He learned how to do it. I said, what business do I have? And I said, well, we want a place where God's word will go out, and this is the only place around here I know to do it. I know that's like being pointy-headed and thinking that you got all the answers, but we found a place to worship. When we first came here and everybody was gathered around the word of God, sitting in that Sunday school room, I said, man, that's a good place. Nobody was trying to strap up and harness up and say, you got, you know, we need you on this, and we're pushing you toward this, and we're pushing you toward it. It was gathered around the word of God, and that's where we want to be. But sometimes God puts you in a place and he wants you just to serve. I remember how bad I wanted to, I wanted to preach before and thought maybe I could run a church. Somebody asked me when Brother Grady passed away, they said, and because he had, he had made me his second because I was helping him. But they said, well, can you handle running the church? And this is how stupid I was. I look back to being in the Navy and running a few work crews. And I said, yeah, I can do it. And that's how stupid I was. <laughs> and then you start learning. You're dealing with hearts and minds. And what you say matters. I said that sticks and stones thing, that means nothing. What you say matters. It's the small things that make a difference. But David set aside for the house of the Lord. You know how much he set aside? David figured out how much gold was going to be needed for those cherubims. He didn't build it, but he said the cherubims are going to take this much gold, and he set it aside. And he said, you know, we're going to need this many vessels, and they're going to be gold. He didn't build the vessels, but he said, you know what? We're going to need this much gold for these vessels. There's going to be other candlesticks, and some are going to be gold, and some are going to be silver, and it's all in there. But he set aside for him, and he did all he could with what the Lord allowed him to do. Don't despise the small jobs. God gives you something to do. Do all you can with it. You can sit around and you can drive yourself crazy saying, well, I need to be here. I need to be there. And you might not be ready for it. You might not be able to handle it when God puts it on you. Matter of fact, he may never put it on you because you're not taken care of with what he got you, what he gave you. He said, now behold, in my trouble, I have prepared for the house of the Lord and hundred thousands of talents of gold and a thousand talents of silver and of brass and iron without weight, for it is in abundance. Timber also and stone have I prepared, and thou mayest add thereto when he was talking to Solomon. And he had it all drawn up how it would go. And it turns out Solomon's temple was David's temple, just Solomon put it together. So the old men are standing out there and they look at the foundation. And they remember back and they remember seeing those stones that were 
carved that David had set up, and they, they probably knew where the treasury was set up for the gold, and they remembered the day that all that was being fashioned and made, and here they are standing there. I want to point out something to you, because when they're in the captivity, God reaches a point. He says, now is the time to build my house. And when you look at Haggai over in chapter number one, he's talking to them. And he says over in verse two, he said, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying this people say the time is not come. The time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai, the prophet, saying, is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses and this house lie waste? And he's talking about his temple. It's time to build it. Seventy years have gone by. He said, now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have so much and bring in little you eat, but you have not enough to drink. Yet, but you're not, you drink, but you're not filled. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put into a bag with holes. You know, my, my, my young mind, when I read that, I said, see there, there you ought to be given. <laughs> and a preacher could jump on that and say, oh, you ought to be given. See there, if, if you don't want to put money in a bag with holes, I know about that. I don't know about y'all, but I've had that point where the bag's not holding the money, no matter how hard you try. But he says, it's time to build my house. But you know what? It's better than that. Because they hadn't been building God's house. And they're going through all of this pestilence. He says, this is what's happening to you. And they're going through it and they're living through it. And there's just not enough resources. David had set aside the resources. He had set aside everything that was needed. And man, there was a supply there. And there were so many people that were able to do the work. And they're sitting there in their house and saying, yeah, Haggai, you tell us it's time to build a house. But man, I'm poor. (laughs) I'm broke. I'm not pushing y'all to give money. I'm just, I got a bad conscience. Let me get that out of the way. My dad, when I was young, he said, I don't want to go to church. I said, why not, dad? He said, when I... I had some people come by from the church to the door, and they, they, uh, they, I was just, I was going to go with them. And they said, okay, can we start your tithe? I never figured out who did that to go yell at them. He hadn't been to church. They said, can we start the tithe? From that day forward to the day he died, he thought church was just about money. So I don't want you to think that. But there is a principle when God wants you to do something, he'll supply the need. So they're sitting there and they're looking around them and they're seeing their houses and they're seeing their crops. And it's like, man, every time I pull crops out of there, I I never I plant and I don't get what I've planted. And God's telling them why it happened to them. He said, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house and I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You looked for much and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house that is waste, and you, you run every man into his own, unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. All of this is going on, and God saying, build my house. And they're looking around and saying, with what? And that's an interesting thing, because I want to tell you number two. I think it's number two. Don't despise the small jobs. Don't despise the small resources. 
You know, we look at ourselves and you look at yourself as an individual and you say, well, what can I do? You know, it wasn't but a few years ago, Harvey came through here and and just flooded out Dickinson, flooded out Houston. And uh, we were blessed here. The only thing we lost was our sign and some electricity doing the shop vac to get the water out of the carpet. There were houses that were some, we've got some members here that lost their house in that. But the funny thing about it is made up of all these little raindrops. One raindrop would fall, another raindrop would fall, and they would just fall. And one little raindrop by itself, it's not enough. It's not enough to quench your thirst. It's not enough to water a plant. It's not enough to do something. But let me tell you something. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. God knows everyone that's around you. God has the resources. When it comes time to do something, God provides for his work. And those old men are sitting out there and they're saying, I remember everything that was set aside and we don't have that and we're broke. We're, the crops aren't working. We're not getting any of that. But, and I'm ashamed to say I'm this, this year, many years old to learn this. But when God sent them to build the house, there's a letter over in, our, over in Ezra. I think it's chapter number three that Artaxerxes wrote. Ezra chapter number three. Or Ezra chapter number seven. Artaxerxes writes a letter. He says, And whatsoever more shall be needful for the house of thy God, which thou shalt have occasion to bestow, bestow it out of the king's treasure house. Artaxerxes was the king of Persia, and he said, Zerubbabel, when you go to build that house, whatever you need, I'm going to supply it. I'm going to take care of you. He wanted the blessing of God. He, 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 wasn't, he wasn't Jewish. He wasn't the king of the Jews. He was a foreign king. He had them in captivity. He could have done anything he wanted. And he said, he said, And whatsoever more shall be needful, needful of the house of thy God, which thou shalt have occasion to bestow Bestow it out of the king's treasure house. And I got to turn to this one. Verse 11. Now this is the copy of the letter that the king Artaxerxes gave unto Ezra the priest, the scribe, even the scribe of the words of the commandments of the Lord and of his statutes to Israel. King of kings unto Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of heaven, perfect peace at such a time. I make a decree that all day the people of Israel and of his priests and Levites in my realm, which are minded of their own free will to go up to Jerusalem, go with thee. Not only did he give them freedom to go, he gave them the time to go, he gave them the resources. For as much as thou art sent of the king and his seven counselors to inquire concerning Judah and Jerusalem according to the law of thy God, which is in thine hand, and to carry the silver and gold which the king and his counselors have freely offered unto the God of Israel whose habitation is in Jerusalem. And all the silver and gold that thou canst find in all the province of Babylon with the freewill offering of the people and of the priests offering willingly for the house of their God, which is in Jerusalem, that thou mayest buy speedily with this money bullocks, rams, lambs with their meat offerings and their drink offerings and offer them upon the altar of the houses of your God, which is in Jerusalem. And whatsoever shall seem good to thee and to thy brethren to do with the rest of the silver and gold that do after the will of your God. Not only did he give them 
the gold and the silver, but he freed them up. If, if it's too much, use it for what you need. Don't bring it back, just use it. We're offering this freely. And it wasn't just the king, but it was the counselors. It was the people in his palace that offered money and sent it with him and sent gold. And it gets better. The vessels also that are given thee for the service of the house of thy God, those deliver thou before the God of Jerusalem. And whatsoever more shall be needful for the house of thy God, which thou shalt have occasion to bestow, bestow it out of the king's treasure house. And I, even I, Artaxerxes, the king, do make a decree to all the treasurers which are beyond the river. So not just the palace, but the other treasurers. He said that whatsoever Ezra the priest, the scribe of the law of God of heaven, shall require of you, it shall be done speedily unto an hundred talents of silver, to a hundred measures of wheat, to a hundred baths of wine, and to a hundred baths of oil and salt without prescribing how much. Whatsoever is commanded by the God of heaven, let it be diligently done for the house of the God of heaven. For why should there be wrath against the realm of the king and his sons? And then he goes on. <laughs> but to see how God provided for that, you know, as they're looking at their houses and all they had to do was move forward and God provided for it. You get caught up in despising the small resources. You get caught up in saying we just don't have what we have. And it doesn't mean you go crazy. I'm always putting in caveats when I preach. I'm mealy mouth like that. There's a balance in everything. But when you follow the God, when you follow God, when you follow what he wants you to do, when he lays it on your heart, trust him for it. I had a woman one time come on. I was selling cars for a little while. Somebody told me for some reason preachers fall into sales, think they can sell. (laughs) I found out I'm not a salesman. All I know how to do is preach from the Bible. But I was there working on the car a lot, and this woman come in there, and she said, God told me I'm getting a car today. I never forgot that, because God didn't tell her credit score that she was going to be getting a car that day. And I hate to say it like that, but she was, she was naming it and claiming it. And if you start doing it, you know the main thing to not get caught up in is understanding that what we do is for God's glory. That he will work through your life, but it's for his glory. If you think God's going to make me rich, God's going to make me prosperous, God's going to do all this for me, God's not a genie. God is the God of this world, and he wants to use you to his will and to his pleasure. But you'll always benefit from it. You'll always get a return from it. Don't despise the day of small resources. Don't despise the day of small numbers. I think I'm, I'm going to have to hit these real quick. But they're standing out there, and they're the, the group of people's there, and I think they're looking back, and they remember all the people that were gathered around. In 1 Kings 8, 63 through 66, And Solomon offered a sacrifice of peace offerings. This is when they were blessing the temple which he offered unto the Lord two and 20,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated to the house of the Lord. The same day did the king hallow the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord. There he offered burnt offerings and meat offerings and the fat of the peace offerings because the brazen altar that was before the Lord was too little to receive the burnt offerings and meat offerings and the fat of the peace offerings. 
And at that time, Solomon held a feast and all Israel with him, a great congregation from the entering in of Hamath to the river of Egypt. Behold, the Lord our God, seven days and seven days, even 14 days. On the eighth day, he sent the people away and they blessed the king and went unto their tents joyful and glad of heart. And for all the goodness of the Lord that had done for David, his servant, and for Israel, his people. Don't despise the day of small numbers. Those old men were out there and they were looking and they're looking at the small crowd and they remember those 14 days of celebration and they remember all the people that were gathered around. And the Bible tells us that not everybody came back. But don't despise the day of small numbers. Because they, they looked out on that temple and they said, how can God be here like he was in the old days? Solomon's temple is no longer here, and this is just a paltry little offering. And God, God talked to him in Haggai chapter 2, verse 3. He said, Who is among you that saw this house in her first glory, and how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes, and the comparison of it is nothing? He said, Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, saith the Lord, and be strong, O Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and be strong, all you people of the land, saith the Lord, and work, for I am with you, saith the Lord of hosts. He said, According to the word that I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Fear ye not. For thus saith the Lord of hosts, Yet once it is a little while, and I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and dry land. And they look out on that. And they say, well, this just isn't the glory of Solomon's temple. And David had it in his mind to make a magnificent work that all the world would see. And said, God's just not in this. And, you know, we can look around and we can see movements over here and you can see a lot. Man, they got big numbers. They got this going on. They got that going on. I'm not trying to be a pitiful small church. I'm just trying to look around and you see it. They got this going. Man, they got things for my kids. You reach a point as a church and you don't have somebody for the kids and then you don't have kids for the somebody for the kids and you get it caught up in that. And you could worry about that. You worry about the numbers. But then God tells me, he said, as I was with the first temple and he was done with the first temple, he let it be destroyed. All that glory that you remember, that was in the past. I, I look back, I look back at those jubilee meetings, I look back on that, and I say, I say, man, the glory was in the past. But God's not there. He's here with us. The same spirit, the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ up from the dead is the same spirit that you receive when you accept Jesus Christ. The same power that was with Moses when the Red Sea was parted is the same spirit that's with you. And I want to add this last one. Don't despise the unfinished work. Because they look out there and all they see is a foundation. And they remember that fully completed temple. And there may be in times in your life, you, maybe you had a closer walk with God at one time. Maybe you're on the mountaintop now, I don't know. But maybe there was a time in your life when you remember walking closer with God. You remember when you read God's word, he just spoke to you in every word and every passage. You remember when you got on your knees and prayed, you come into church and God answers prayer. And you remember those days. And 
and maybe you get away from God and it's been so long and it's just a memory now and it's hurting you in your heart and you're trying to get back. I remember when I came out here from Georgia and I was going to a church and then I went to another church and it just feels like a dry land sometimes. It just feels like a dry land because it just seems like everybody's there for the money or for the activity or whatever. But I, I didn't run into a lot of people that were there for the word of God. I was talking to somebody not too long ago. I was trying to show them a passage and they just looked at me. I'm like, well, right here and here. And he's just looking at me. He said he's a Christian, but he's just looking at me. And you may be at that point where it's just gone dry for you. And it was a long time. It was 70 years without God. It was 70 years without the offerings. It was 70 years doing whatever the king of Persia said or doing whatever the king of Babylon said. And they look out there and they see that unfinished foundation. And you look back and you say, man, my relationship was here. And now it's here. I won't take you to it, but God says, Zerubbabel, I'll be with you. You'll be the one that will finish it. And it was that temple. He said, the glory of this temple will be greater than the glory of the last one. That was the temple. Herod fixed it up. Spent 90 years adding to it, building it, spreading it out. And then one day, God's son walked through the gates of that temple. And I'll tell you what, when he died on the cross... He made us his temple. Amen. All right.